you would remain standing and open your Bibles again to the Gospel of John as we continue our study through that Gospel. Picking up where we left off last week, John chapter 14, we'll pick up in verse 15 and read the rest of the chapter. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot see, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for this, your word, for this command, this promise, this gift. Lord, we need all of it. Would you encourage our hearts today? Lord, as we look at the world around us, many of our hearts are troubled. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and comfort us? Shape us during this time, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. What is the connection between 
love and obedience, love and action. In our world and society and so many other societies, these two have come unhinged. We want love but not commitment. We want the benefits of a relationship without the constraints of it. We want the satisfaction of being loved by others without rules that govern or guard relationship. Throughout God's economy, however, there have always been guardrails on relationship. Marriage is a great example. It's one thing to, to choose to live with someone in a, in a relationship. There's a problem. What happens when things don't go well in that relationship? There is no commitment in that relationship. There's no vow. There's no glue to stick it together. Why, why is marriage able to work? Well, it's designed to function with, within these guardrails of love, meaning action, commitment. Within vows, love truly has an opportunity to, to flourish and grow even through hardship. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at with his disciples today. If we remember the backdrop of the farewell discourse, we have this meal that's being shared by Jesus with his disciples in the upper room. And here we learn that Judas Iscariot is he's gone out into the night. He's going to sell Jesus out. We also have Jesus telling Peter he's going to deny him three times before the rooster crows in the morning. We have the looming threat of the cross ahead of Jesus. And all of this is the backdrop. And the disciples are scared. Jesus has said he's going away and they can't come. We could put it like this, the, the church is on the brink of collapse. What can Jesus say to give them comfort? You've already heard some of that. We heard it in the past couple of weeks. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. Chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. From last week, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in Christ. Jesus says, I am going away to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to come back and get you. Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the place. And Jesus is the way to the place. You will see greater things than these. So he's saying all these things to, to comfort them. The question that should be in our minds, and it is no doubt on the disciples' minds in the upper room, how in the world is all this going to happen? All we see is darkness. And especially given the events that they're going to witness in the next 24 hours, what in the world? Jesus is going away. We have this mix 
mixed up group, this um, kind of hodgepodge of uh, a group of his disciples gathered here, confused, scared. How is Jesus going to accomplish any of what he said? It doesn't look like any of it is going to work. I think this text today gives explanation. Jesus is coming into all of that and saying the power of the Holy Spirit is going to accomplish it. The Holy Spirit is going to indwell the people of God. We'll look at the passage today in three parts. The command, the promise, and the gift. First, the command. How will these greater things happen that Jesus has just told them about? How in the world are this um, mixed up group of scared disciples going to do greater things? Jesus here schools them in the fundamentals of discipleship. Loving Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Loving Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Look again at 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here Jesus is expanding his his commandment about love. Earlier, we heard him tell his disciples when he washed their feet, he's like, hey, you guys go out into the world and and treat others like that. You love others like I have loved you. In the most sacrificial, possibly demeaning ways, that is the way that we are called to love others. Here, he's adding on to that. It's not just about our love for others. It's not just about the outward face. It's not just about what we accomplish for our neighbor. Discipleship is about loving Christ and obeying Him. There are a few points that we need to make here about love and obedience. The first is this, they are utterly tied together. Love does not cast out obedience, but it is the grounds for it. To obey Christ's commands means personal obedience to Jesus himself. This obedience is tied to love. Spurgeon says this, listen to this quote. There are some men for whom you would do anything. You will yield to their will if such a person were to say to you, do this. You would do it without question. Perhaps he stands to you in the relation of a master and you are a willing servant. Perhaps he is a venerated friend. And because you esteem and love him, his word is law to you, end quote. That deeply resonated with me because it's true. Listen, if you know that you are utterly loved by someone and you have hold this person in the highest possible esteem, you love them dearly, if they tell you to do something, what are you going to do? You're going to do it. Obedience in this context is rooted in love. Second, we learn that obedience to Christ is not first and foremost duty, but it's loving obedience. 
Obedience to Christ is not first and foremost duty, but loving obedience. Paul writes, if I give away all I have and deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I what? I gain nothing. So if you do all this great stuff for Christ, but you do not love Him, what does that say about your heart? If everything is duty, all the way up to giving your body over to be burned, but you don't love Him, it it doesn't matter. You have gained nothing. Jesus teaches time and time again That to live the best possible life is to live it in right relationship with himself. And we see this critique time and time again in the scriptures. You know, people are careful to tithe in his day, even the mint and the cumin, even from their spice cabinet. They would tithe, but they neglected justice and mercy. People were careful to obey the letter of the Sabbath law, yet their hearts never rest in Christ Himself. Conformity to church life. Yet without the substance of the gospel at work, no love for Christ. Listen, obeying the Bible, obeying Christ truly grows out of love. 1 John 5, by this we know that we love... We love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. A third lesson, Jesus teaches that if you love Him, you will obey Him. Those two go hand in hand. Look at it again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Here's what He's saying. It is is a certain thing. It will happen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What are these commandments? Well, they're framed first and foremost in the context of this gospel itself. This is the first place we need to look when asking that question. Love for one another as Christ has loved us. Sacrificial love for others. That's a clear one that's in this context. That's what we do if we love Christ. However, if you, if you do a thorough reading of John's Gospel, there are commands to, to do things, but those are minimal. Far more abundant are commands to believe. Simple obedience rooted in the work of Christ. Rise up. Take your mat and go. Drink of me, Jesus commanded the woman at the well. You you are thirsty. You you want something in life. Drink Drink of me. That is a command that is in John's gospel. Go, your son as well. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, will not walk in the darkness. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him. All commands. Lazarus, come out. All of these are commands of Jesus. They all involve Him giving life. 
faith is the response of our heart. See the kindness of Jesus again and again and again. We can also back out as wide as we possibly want. The Old Testament, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the embodiment of all of that. You can't look at any command in the scripture at all and say it's not from Jesus. All of it is his. All of it is given to us, his church. In short, loving Christ means living a life striving to conform to what the Word of God teaches. And first and foremost, that is a relationship with Him. Believe that He is who He claims to be. Knowing that He lived and died and rose again to save sinners like you and like me. The question comes though, how? If you're like me, you you look at that and you consider that and you're like, yeah, that's not possible. And that's why it ties immediately to the Holy Spirit, just like our Old Testament text that we read earlier. The, The transformation of Israel was not their good works. Jesus is saying, I'm not doing this for you because you're so good. I'm going to transform you from the inside out by giving you my spirit. I'm going to do it. And that's exactly where Jesus takes his disciples and us this morning. How are we to do this, Lord? The disciples are struggling with fear. And not just the disciples, but us today. We still struggle deeply with sin. We wrestle with our own selfishness. The world, the flesh, and the devil. If we struggle in sin, does that mean we don't love Christ? No, I don't think so. I think we're pointed here by Jesus to exactly what we need. We need the Spirit to be at work. Jesus responds to to this question that had to be on the disciples' minds. Complete obedience? How? And he says the same thing that he he gives to Nicodemus in chapter 3. Nicodemus, what you need is you need the wind to blow. Nicodemus is like, what? I need the wind to blow. And Jesus is referring to the Spirit of God at at work in this. You need the wind to blow. You need the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. That's exactly what you and I need. We need the Spirit of God to be at work. He says that the Son will ask the Father to send a helper. One who is going to come alongside of us. He calls for the Spirit. The Spirit of truth. This work of the, this great work of the triune God is focused in one direction, causing people like you and me to love Christ. Notice closely that verse 16 says, another helper, another helper. You're like, wait a minute, are there two Holy Spirits? What's going on? No, the helper they have is with them in the room. It's Jesus himself. He is among them. He's abiding with his church, helping them. He's helping them through this rough night. Look, this had to be the most terrifying night of Jesus' whole life on earth. And he is ministering to others. He is helping them. 
And he says he's sending another helper to do those same things. For Jesus, the presence of the Spirit is what marks the church as distinct in all the world. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. Listen, what makes the difference between us, those who are believers in Christ and part of His church? What is distinct about us from the rest of the world? Jesus answers it very clearly. He says, my spirit is with you. That's the difference. That's the only difference between you and the world is you have the spirit of God both with you and in you. Listen, this should be a tremendous encouragement to us. This means that you are never, ever alone. How in the world are we to lovingly obey Christ in the world? You need the wind to blow on you. You need the Spirit of God to transform you. If you, will ever, if you are ever to grow as a lover of Jesus Christ and, and obeying His commandments, it is only because the Spirit of God is forging that work. You need the Holy Spirit. From this promise we go to, or from this command we go to a promise. The implication of Jesus' statement likely leaves the disciples wondering about Jesus himself. He anticipates the questions of the disciples and he leaves them with promises. Like, okay, you're leaving us, you're going away, but we need the Spirit. Okay, great, got it, Jesus. Now what? Jesus promises not to abandon his people. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus promises his followers that while in the world they will not see him, while the world will not see him, they will see him. He promises to make himself known to them in the resurrection. Verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Jesus promises his disciples' life in his own life. Because I live, you will live. Jesus promises his disciples certainty. Right now their faith is weak. And that's going to come up again and again. But after the resurrection, they will be certain of his identity. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Promise after promise after promise. All of these promises are answered in the resurrection of Christ. They're not going to fully see until that happens. The resurrection is going to prove that he has not abandoned his people. In the resurrection, Jesus comes to his followers. And in the end, he will come again. In the present, his disciples and you and me only have life. Because Jesus is alive. That is exactly what he says. If you have life today, it is only because he is alive. When they meet the risen Christ, all the truths, all the promises that Jesus has been teaching them are going to come to bear. Because he lives, we live. 
Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Listen, as believers, we are invited to live in light of these promises. What do all these promises have to do with motivating us to love and obey Christ? Theologian Alexander McLaren says this, there are two motives for keeping commandments. One, because they are commanded, and one, because we love Him that commands. The one is slavery, and the other is liberty. The one is like the Arctic regions, cold and barren. The other is like tropical lands of warmth and sunshine, glorious and glad fertility, end quote. I couldn't agree more. Listen, there are two motives that we have for us in the Christian life, and one is going to lead to slavish fear. Spiritless, powerless, fruitless, simply a slave, not in a relationship with Christ, simply striving in our own effort, spinning our righteous and holy wheels, That's not the obedience spoken of here. Disobedience is rooted in a loving relationship. It's rooted in looking at Christ and and who He is and what He has done. One is like the Arctic, cold and barren. And the other, like a paradise, warm sunshine, glorious and fertile. What's your motivation? The obedient Christian pleases God. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. Again, this does not mean slavish fear. This means that we have seen something. The Spirit has broken into our soul. We understand what God has done for us in Christ. We truly understand that the Gospel is good news. It's not just something that exists out there that that preachers talk about. We understand that God has done something amazing to love the likes of us. That the one who spoke all things into existence by the word of his own power, that he came into the world and was born. And that he lived in our place. The life that we could never accomplish, he righteously fulfills all the law. And we see it. And we, we see His glorious life and His sacrificial death. We know Him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we see Him in His glorious resurrection. Listen, loving Christ means more than just loving Him with our words. It means loving Him with our obedience. Has Jesus become increasingly real in your life or increasingly unreal? Has the gospel itself shaped you? How you live, how you work, how you relate to others around you? Christ is becoming more clear, more real to you. It is because this shining light of God's glory and the Holy Spirit is at work. 
God is doing that, not man. Listen, I can preach the gospel to you, but I cannot make you see its truth. I can never manifest the glory of God to your soul. I can't do that. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. He uses ordinary means, but are those means at work in our lives? Judas, not Iscariot, breaks into the conversation here. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? That's a great question. So what Jesus is telling his church is you're going to be able to see me. You're going to know me. You're going to love me. And the world is not. Judas, the negative Iscariot, not that one, says, how does that work? How in the world are you going to do that, Jesus? Jesus answered in 23 and 24, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus answered, giving more promises. One positive, if you love Jesus, you will keep his word and be blessed by the fellowship of God himself, the triune God with you. That's how he's going to be made known. Your love for him and his abiding in you. Jesus reveals himself only to those who love him. Love and knowledge go hand in hand. An individual cannot have one without the other. So do you know Jesus? That's one question. And then do you love him? Titus 2 says that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We were loved by him for this purpose. For us to love him back and for us to obey And not everybody wants that program. Not everybody wants the gospel. People each and every day want their own way. They want lawlessness. And that's why we have this second promise. And it's a negative. If you don't love Jesus, you won't obey. You you don't want to live your life in conformity to him. That's how this is going to work. Jesus is going to make himself known through his people over here who know him and love him. And... Others over here aren't going to see him. They're not going to get it. The difference between the church and the world is very fundamental. And it comes down to this very simple question that each and every one of us in this room must answer. And that is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with him? Do you see him for who he is? Do you love him because he first loved you? This is the dividing line of all of history. So having given us this command, and and he's told us how this command is going to be lived out, having given us promises, he now talks about tremendous gifts. Verse 25 frames the scene. Jesus is again referring to his leaving. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. 
He's again talking about that super scary thing to the disciples. You have to put yourself in the room. We kind of know where this is going. They don't. And he, he, in the middle of this, says, there's more. Verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, one gift is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming. But what is the Spirit going to do for the disciples? He's going to tell them. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Great question would be for these disciples then. How could you guys put all this stuff together about Jesus' life? How could you remember all of these things? How, how can you process who Jesus is? They were with him a relatively short period of time. Jesus is giving them the answer beforehand. The Spirit is going to do all of that. Listen, it's only by the power of the Spirit that any of them ever connect the dots about the gospel. And the same thing is true today. Listen, if, you, if you're at coffee with someone and you know they're not a believer and they're your friend, you're sitting at coffee and you're like, hey, I'm just going to tell you about this life that I have. I'm going to tell you about this hope that I have. And then you lay out in, in the most beautiful and precise and loving way possible, you lay out the, the truth of the gospel for your friend. You can do all of that, but if the Spirit of God is not at work, nothing's going to happen. Nothing. Unless the Spirit of God takes that in their soul and, and gives them eyes to see and ears to hear, nothing will change. That is exactly what Jesus is saying about the gift of the Spirit. You must have this gift of the Spirit. Another gift that the Spirit promises, that Jesus promises here, is peace. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Here this moment is tumultuous. In many ways the lives of the disciples are going to be a wreck in the coming days? How are they able to function in the world facing them? And how about us? How are we going to function in a world facing us? Sickness? Disease? Depression? Anxiety? Loneliness? Fear about that thing that's coming up that we have no idea how that's going to turn out. Fear of something that we've done in our past that the consequences haven't dropped yet. Jesus is promising peace. And the biblical term peace is not tranquility. He's not saying, oh, you're going to have these zen-like um, lives, disciples. Not at all. The biblical concept of peace is shalom. And it basically means this. It basically means rightness. It means things are the way that they are supposed to be. 
And how could he promise the disciples that? We know that most of them are going to die for their faith. How can he promise? What peace is he talking about? Well, he tells us he's leaving us his peace. The peace that the believer has is Jesus himself. Listen, there's a lot about our world that might be confusing, that might make us afraid. But there is certainty in Christ, who he is, and what he has come to do. Circumstances will be difficult, but this peace, this shalom is messianic. And it's rooted in the kingdom of God itself. It tell, this piece tells us this. Look, at the, end of, at the end of all things, in this eschatological sense, right? Everything is moving to this place out here. And it's, it's saying this, he wins. He wins. And if he leaves, he's coming back to get us and taking us home with him. That's the peace that we have. That's what the Spirit offers. That's what the Spirit is telling us today. God wins. The world will one day be made right because of the ministry of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, despite our circumstances, we can live in light of this certain peace, knowing that the whole arc of history is sealed. One last gift that Jesus gives to the disciples is the gift of comfort. Look at 28 and 29. You heard me say that I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. The disciples are deeply troubled by Jesus going away. What are you troubled by today? In their trouble, Jesus assures them that if they loved him, they would have been happy. Because this is where all of this is going. Father, Son, and Spirit. He has to go away. Jesus is comforting His disciples even while the enemy is at work. Listen, child of God, you know that you have these very gifts. Those of you who are here today who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the gift of the Spirit who is quickening your dead soul to life. Child of God, do you know that if you are here today in Christ, that His peace is yours. He bequeaths it to you. He gives it. Do you know, child of God, that you are invited into the comfort of this reality? That Christ is with the Father in glory and that He's coming back to get us. May we live our lives in love for Christ, in obedience to Him, and treasuring His gifts. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, I pray that we would deeply get these commands, these promises and gifts from You. Lord, we confess that so often we wrestle 
We wrestle with knowing we have peace. We, we wrestle with these, the reality of these commands where we need your spirit. We need hope that comes from you. So would you give us these things today? In Christ's name, amen.